Today's passage comes from Psalm chapter 63, verses 1 to 11. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouth of liars will be stopped. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are so glad to be here. Already, we just feel the sweetness of your presence in this place. We don't deserve it. We didn't necessarily... um, always ask for your presence, but Lord, you are so good and kind, and you always um, encounter us, your people. And already you stirred up our hearts and our spirits and awakened us to who you are in this place today. And God, we ask for more. We come here week after week because God, we want to know you more. And we want to worship you better each day, each week. We want to become more like you. We want to be a church that really pleases you. And so, Holy Spirit, won't you speak through me, a very humble servant? And I pray that you would um, open all of our ears and hearts and minds that we might not only receive your word, but that we would understand it. So, Lord, give us um, discernment in this place. Give us love in this place. And I pray that you would stir up affection for you, but also stir up um, obedience in this place. God, we just honor you here. We are here for you. And God, our hearts and ears are leaned in uh, to hear from you today. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 63. It's a really, it's a well-known psalm. One of my favorite psalms. But before I go into that, I want to try something, if that's okay with you. I'm going to read a paragraph, a few sentences, and I want you to just open your ears and listen carefully to what I am reading so that you can understand what I am saying, okay? So here it goes. A seashore is a better place than the street because you need lots of room. At first, it is better to run than to walk. And you might have to try several times. It takes some skill, but it's easy to learn. Even young children can enjoy it. Birds seldom get too close. If there are no snags, it can be very peaceful. But if it it breaks loose, you won't get another chance. Yeah, you all look very confused. Chances are, because I didn't give you any context to these sentences, that paragraph really meant nothing to you. 
And so I'm going to read it again, but this time I'm going to provide for you context. I'm going I'm to give us a framework, and it's just going to come in one word. Are you ready for it? The frame is, the key frame is, kite. Kite. A seashore is a better place than the street because you need lots of room. At first, it's better to run than to walk. You may have to try several times. It takes some skill, but it's easy to learn. Even young children can enjoy it. Birds seldom come close to it. If there are no snacks, it can be very peaceful, but if it breaks loose, you won't get another chance. Ah, uh, you get it? <laughs> it makes more sense now, right? With the context, and the, the context was not that much. I gave just one word as a frame, right? Kite. And all of a sudden, all those sentences kind of made more, that paragraph itself made a lot more sense. In the same way, Psalm 63 is a very well-known psalm. But if we're going to draw out the richness of it, the power of this psalm, we really need to start with the context. Some of you might already know, but in case you didn't, I want to share it with you. And so um, keep your Bibles open because I'm just going to take us through a few verses at a time. But I want us to look at the top where it says Psalm 63. Right under that, what does it say? It says this. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. He didn't write this when he was in his palace. He didn't write this when he was a shepherd boy on the field. He didn't write this in the temple of God. He wrote this beautiful psalm when he was in the wilderness. And David, he's been in the wilderness before. And we know that, right? He's been in the wilderness before. And, you know, the most um, noteworthy time is when he, before he was king, he was running into the wilderness to save his life because a king, King Saul, wanted to kill David out of jealousy. And that was the one big time that uh, David really fled into the wilderness. He wandered there in the wilderness, but now he's in the wilderness again. And he's running for his life again. But this time, it's not King Saul that wants his life. This time, it's his very own son, Absalom. And so it's very different. I mean, if someone is out for your life, it sucks either way. But it's a different thing when someone who is unrelated to you wants your life. And it's something totally different. It's a lot heavier, painful, hard to deal with when your own son wants to kill you. Absalom comes and he basically wants the throne. He wants to take over his father's throne. And so he chases his father out. He rebels against him. His father flees. And, and now Absalom is on the pursuit to kill David's life, his own father's life. And so this is where David is. He's not in a happy place. I mean, he's just lost his throne. He's lost family, at least that son. And now he's very, very close to losing his life if things don't go right. And if you read of this account in Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel, we see that David was really broken by, this, um, by all this that was happening. It actually says, it describes that David was depressed. He actually needed to be rebuked 
by one of his commanders, Joab. And he was near suicidal. This is where David is. This is the context in which David pens Psalm 63. Not in a happy place. Not even a neutral place. This is like, I'm fearing for my life. What is happening to my life? I want to die kind of place. And so I'm going to read Psalm 63 once more. And I want us to really soak in the heart of David in the wilderness here. This is what he writes. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips shall praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you and your right hand upholds me. Those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. But the king... The king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. This is amazing. Understanding the situation that David is in, and we may never face such a situation where our own family member wants to kill us, but I believe we understand a situation similar like this when we are not comfortable, when it's filled with fear, anxiety, uncertainty about what's going to happen in my life. In a situation like this, he ends the psalm, this prayer in verse 11, with such confidence. And it's confidence in who he is, his identity as the king that was chosen by the God Almighty. Verse 11, he says, but the king shall rejoice in God. That's a lot of trust in there. He's saying, not only am I not going to die from this, but the Lord will restore me to my throne. I am the king chosen by God. How is this possible? How is this possible in this kind of situation? And where does David's confidence and boldness and peace and trust come from? Nothing else has changed. His circumstances is exactly the same. People's hearts have not changed. But by the end of this psalm, he is fully confident in the Lord Almighty. Where does this come from? It comes from worship. It comes from worship in the sweet presence of God. And so today, I just want to take us through Psalm 63, and I want us to look at how David worshipped in the wilderness. Because we know how to worship when things are good, or at least most of us do. We know how to worship when things are good, 
when it's convenient and easy for us. But to worship in the wilderness, it takes the Holy Spirit, the help of the Holy Spirit. So we're just going to look at how David worshiped in the wilderness. And he starts with this, verse 1, O God, you are my God. And these few words in the beginning seem so simple. It lays down the foundation of this entire prayer. God, you are my God. David doesn't say, God, you are a God. He doesn't say, God, you are the God. He says, God, you are my God. He's crying out to a God he knows intimately. This is a cry of a man who hasn't just heard about God or has read about God. This is a cry that's overflowing from a man who has been with God. He has spent a long time throughout his life practicing being with God, worshiping God, communing with God. And so when he says, God, you are my God, you see the intimacy that God has with David and the intimacy that David has with God. It's interesting. The Hebrew words that David uses when he says, God, you are my God, same Hebrew words that Jesus Christ says as he's hanging on the cross crying out to his Abba Father, my God, my God. And Jesus was so intimate with his father. And so here we see David is intimate with God. It's an overflow of a heart of a worshiper. And this doesn't just happen on the spot. David's been cultivating a life, a heart, a spirit of worship all his life. So that right now when he's in the wilderness, his spirit is able to cry out for his God. He says, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. With everything that's going on right now. Everything that's going on in David's life, I find it so amazing that what he cries out for is not deliverance. In a situation like that, he doesn't cry out for help. He doesn't cry out for justice and for vengeance. What is the one thing David cries out for here? It is for God himself. What's painful for David right now in the wilderness What's most distressing for him out in the wilderness, you know, running for his life, is not the fact that he lost his throne. That hurts, but that's not what's really causing distress in David's heart. It's not even the fact that his son wants to kill him. It's not the fact that he might die any moment. What's the most disturbing and distressing and painful in his heart is that because he had to flee into the wilderness, he cannot go into the temple to meet with his God. That is what is what's most disturbing and distressing to David. So it makes you wonder, how much does David love his God that in a situation like this, what he cries out for is God himself? And the answer is, a lot. David is a man who loved God. To David, God was his everything. So he, over the many years, just again cultivated that love with God and for God. And in this wilderness, the one thing he wants, 
the one thing he wants is to be with his God in the temple. And he is in pain because he cannot go to the temple right now. That's a worshiper. That's a worshiper. You know, a body, our physical body. And because I was not such a great student, I forgot this. So I had to look it up. So if you're a medical person in here, um, correct me after the service. But from what I read, and not what I remember, but our body, um, up to 60% water. So what happens when this body does not get the water it needs? What happens when this body has gone for too long without water? It faints. It cries out for God. I mean, for water. <laughs> it will stop at nothing to get water. If you're in the desert long enough, you're going to begin to hallucinate and see water because that's how much your flesh cries out for water. It needs water to survive. That is what David is saying. He's saying, my spirit cannot live on without your presence, God. I'm in this wilderness. I might not have enough food to eat. I might not have my family with me. I might not have my throne. But God, what I need most right now to live is your presence. Have you cultivated a heart like that? Have you spent your energy and time cultivating that kind of relationship with the Lord so that when you are not experiencing the presence of God, your spirit begins to cry. My God, my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land without water. Have we cultivated that? Let's cultivate that in our lives. So that when we find ourselves in the wilderness or in the desert place, emotionally, spiritually, our spirits cry out for God. David continues to worship here. I'm just taking us through how he worships. He continues to worship as he remembers God. This is awesome. He says, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Verse 6, I remember you upon my bed. I meditate on you in the watches of the night. You know, a lot of the times we th when we say, oh, I remember, I remember, oh, I remember you, it's, it's, it almost seems like just a, uh, like a weak sentiment, nothing really powerful about it. It's just a passive remembering. But when David remembers God and when he meditates and recalls what God has done, who God is, what we see is it does something in his spirit. It's not a shallow thing to call, recall, and to remember, to meditate upon God and what he has done. As David causes his mind and spirit to meditate upon God and remember why God is so good and why God is so awesome, what happens is David's heart, his affection, his love for God is deepened and stretched and expanded, and he is strengthened. 
That is what we see here. Because as he is saying, I remember you, I meditate upon you, what he says after that is, for you, your love is better than life. As his heart is being stretched and expanded with affection for God, he remembers once again that God is the absolute value and worth in this world. That kind of love where you begin to see he is the best thing. There are a lot of good things in my life, but God, you are the best thing. That is why I must have your presence right now. That kind of worship, that kind of recalling, that kind of remembering of who God is. There's, a, there's something powerful that happens when the people of God, no matter what season you're in, pause to remember and meditate and declare who God is and what he has done. Something happens in our heart. I would even say chains are broken off. The atmosphere shifts. Because at that point, the people of God, our hearts are filled with love and affection for this God. So I want to I take some time and invite you to do something that we don't ever do. But, you know, there's, again, there's something powerful that happens in our hearts and in this place when we meditate, when we remember who God is and what he has done. And so, you know what, this past summer... Well, even this past year, this past seven months, God has done great things. Our pastor got married. We went independent. God is raising up leaders. College students are on fire for the Lord. There's so many things. Family group is being strengthened. There's so many things. Let's declare it out loud. Give thanks to the Lord. Let's remember. So I want to give us maybe a minute, not too long. Turn to a neighbor in your seats. Turn to a neighbor and just share. Share with one another who God is and what he has done in your life lately. And so one minute, go. Yesterday morning, um, I was in a, a meeting with um, our college small group leaders. There are a few of us in here, and we, we've been um, just sort of serving in the college ministry this past summer. And as you can see, and I, as you have felt, or as you are feeling right now during the service, God is doing great things um, in and through our college students. And we were just going over our lesson, right? Today's lesson is on... Goodness, right? It's on goodness. And so we were talking about that. And there was a, a, a slight pause. And for some, I forget how, we all just started going around and sharing um, the certain people that we see God raising up. Students. 
So we started naming names. And we started saying, oh, my gosh, I mean, look at this guy. Like, God is really massaging his heart, like, growing his heart. And we just started going back and forth naming kids. I mean, isn't that amazing? Instead of, like, like pulling out our hair because these college students are, like, drifting away from the Lord, we are, like, glorifying God because they're coming, like, they're just rushing into the presence of God. And I look up and the, the, te- the person, sister, right in front of me, leader is weeping and I was like oh okay she's really being moved by what God is doing and so we moved on we moved on and went back to the lesson and I turned around she's still weeping like she's weeping hard and I just saw that and I just realized there's something powerful and beautiful that happens when we remember who God is and what he has done. That is why we should never give up on meeting together. And when we do meet together, we, our language, our conversation, our words really should be mostly about God and what he has done and who he is and how awesome all of that is. Then we will begin to see shifts happen in our community, in our church. Hearts will begin to stir for the things of God. We need to begin to speak more of God. And we need to begin to remember publicly with each other more of what God has done. And that's what David does. He remembers God. Um, he meditates upon him in, on his bed. And then something happens. David's heart begins to stir and he begins to praise. And what do I mean by that? He, he begins to lift up his hands. Read it. It says he begins to, he lifts up his hands and he lifts up his voice and he sings. And that's praise. What is praise? Praise is taking all that love and affection and adoration you have in your heart for God and expressing it. That's praise. Right? That's why we say singing is praise. Clapping our hands is praise. Jumping is praise. It's praise. We're expressing all of that affection we have for God and we're showing him just how much we love and adore him. And as he does that, as he lifts up his hands in the middle of the desert when he should be running for his life, as he lifts up his hands and as he lifts up his voice in worship, he begins to see more clearly the worth of God so much so that he utters these words, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Many of, here, of you here do not like those words, fat and rich food. But for David, it meant utter satisfaction in his soul. There was no more want in his heart because he had tasted of God. That's what happens when you remember the Lord and when you give him thanks and praise. Having tasted of God's presence, we are satisfied to our core with who he is. That glorifies God. When you come to God and say, I have tasted of you, God, I want nothing more in life but you. Now, all of a sudden, nothing is more urgent or important than to pursue more of you in my life. That kind of worship, that kind of pursuing of the Lord's presence, it changes us. It alters something in your heart that you didn't even know needed changing. You know, this past summer, I've been so blessed. I've been on four retreats already. To be honest, 
like around May when I was working on my calendar, I just thought my prayer was, Lord, help me not to get sick. Help me to make it through the summer. There's so much to be done. If I'm sick, I cannot do anything. And a lot of people have been praying for me. People have been buying me supplements so that I'm not sick. I, I really treasure that. I believe God has answered all your prayers. I am not that sick, right? I'm relatively healthy. More than that, my spirit is full. I can go on four more retreats if my body can keep up, right? But I want to share with you this one retreat. Um, end of June, I had the privilege of leading worship praise uh, for our high school um, youth group retreat. And if you know me at all, you know I love praise and I love leading worship. It's where I am most myself. Um, and I just had, but I knew that it was going to be a battle. It's four days. That was six sessions. Six sessions of like so many songs. And so I was like, Lord, I need help. I need backup. So what do I do? I go to our people and I say, Juven, Kenny, Cameron, Pastor Chunzok, Peter, you have to come with me. And I did not let them say no to me. I was like, if I'm going to go out to battle spiritually, I need, I need an army. So I'm going to choose, I'm going to choose like our excellent soldiers in terms of musicians, right? And so thankfully, they all like humbly said yes. And as we were preparing, my heart was like, Lord, help me not to grow weak when the youth group just stares at me with blank stares. <laughs> it's very discouraging when you look out and people are just staring at you, not singing. But you know, to, in my previous experience, it was something that we had to fight through as a praise team. So I was like, Lord, keep me strong. Keep my team strong. Don't let them waver. As soon as we hit the first note, oh, my goodness. You just felt the hunger and the thirst for God rise up in that place. I don't know what happened. I, actually, I know. It was the Holy Spirit. Uh, believe me, you cannot, you cannot hunger and thirst for God without the help of God. Isn't that funny? On our own, we don't know how to cry out for God. I believe God really wanted to bless us, not just the students, like us, even the band. And he caused hunger and thirst for the Lord to rise up in that place. And we encountered God in a powerful way. On the one of the, I mean, the first, you know, the last night we always prepare for the weeping and the, all that stuff. The first night was like the last night. And I was like, well... I mean, I don't know. It's only going to get go downhill from here. I mean, we hit 100%. We went beyond every session. I was like, is this even possible? Yes, with God, it's possible. He wanted to meet with his, his people so badly. And on the last night session, our band was just going nuts. Like, you should have heard, like, Kenny and Jubin leading. I've never heard them lead like that before. And Kenny was leading this one song, I Surrender. And the lyrics to that song... I don't know why I'm doing this, but there's a lyric to that song that say, um, like a rushing wind, come and breathe within. Lord, have your way. Lord, have your way. And I'm a very, I'm a pretty shy person. But on that spot, I just felt the heaviness of the Lord and I could not stay standing. I went on my knees, my eyes closed. I opened my eyes a few minutes later. There is a certain people on the floor. I'm like, what is going on? Like, without prompting, like pilgrim people are getting on their knees in worship. This is amazing. But it just kept going. You could just feel the spirit beginning to like minister and stir up passion. The speaker came up and he just invited everyone else to get on their knees if they wanted to. The whole room got on their knees. And so the band is just playing. We're not even singing at that point. 
I think Kenya was just singing over us, ministering over us. And we were just praying. And we were all, I turn around, Peter's not even on the drum. He's on the floor. Like, like all our guitars, they're on the floor. And you just knew the Lord, the Lord was doing something. And then after a while, the prayer, and went on for 10 minutes or so, the prayer died down. And, you know, as a worship leader, I know when that dies down, you go to the mic and you close it off in prayer. And so I got up from my knees. I approached the mic. And the Lord just said, no. And I was like, mm. <laughs> And I knew that the Lord was leading us in worship at that point. And so I waited. And I was like, okay, I, I can do, like, silence. Like, beautiful silence, I can do that. And all of a sudden, I began to hear whispers a prayer from the kids. And then I just hear Pastor Chunzok like praying crazy loud and then it picks up and the whole room was just filled with the people of God crying out for more of God. That's what, that's what their prayer was. That went on for another 10 minutes without prompting and I was just so thankful I got to witness it and to be a part of it. Afterwards, these ninth grader boys, you know, the last night, you know what's up. After worship is done, all you want is ramen. And so these kids are all eating ramen, and I'm walking through just to get through the room. And this ninth grade boy comes to me, and he grabs both my hands. And he goes, Pastor Esther, thank you so much. That was just amazing worship. I never experienced that in my life. And I knew he wasn't thanking me. He was really, he didn't have the language for it yet. He was thanking God for pouring out his presence over it. He just didn't know how to express it. I came home and I was tired and I thought, I'm going to do what I always do when I unwind. What you all do when you unwind. Netflix. As I opened up my laptop and I was like, you know what, I deserve it. I sang my little heart out like... I sang my little heart. I had no voice. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to watch some of my shows. I open my laptop. I log into Netflix. I just don't want to watch anything. All my favorite shows just seem not so appealing anymore. I'm like, this is funny. I'm so tired. I can't even watch Netflix. But then I realized, no, my heart was ruined. My, my palate, my spiritual palate, had tasted of God and I no longer wanted Netflix. Netflix is not bad, but it's not the best. God is the best. I tasted the best for four days. I did not want to go back to Netflix. I wanted to worship. So that's what I did. Brothers and sisters, we want to become worshipers that seek the presence of God. We cannot be content with just the clapping of our hands, lifting of our voices, being present in this building. Every time we gather, what we want is to experience the presence of God. So much so that it changes us. So that it changes what we desire, what we long for, what we spend time doing. That is what David did. He cultivated that heart of worship his whole life. And so when he found himself in a wilderness with his life on the line, what he, did he do? He worshiped. And something happened in that place. The dry desert ground became a holy sanctuary. He encountered God and he was victorious. 
He said, this king, the king shall rejoice in God. I hope you're encouraged by this. If you're in a situation where you're just like, God, I don't know how this is going to turn out for me. Worship. Seek the Lord. Cry out, my God, my God. And you will see in that moment, the presence of God will invade that place and that desert ground will become a sanctuary. And you will be empowered. You will be empowered to overcome fear, anxiety, depression, uncertainty, hopelessness. And if you are in a good place, worship. Cultivate that lifestyle, that heart, that spirit of worship. May we be a people of God who just love his presence. That every time we gather together, we would experience his glory and his power and his beauty and love. That we would leave this place ruined for anything else but God. So that when we leave this place, our words would be about God. So that our actions would imitate and reflect God. So that our life throughout the week would be pleasing to God. May we be a church of worshipers. May we become true, true worshipers as David was. I invite you to just bow your heads and pray with me. If there's anything... Just begin to hunger for God's presence. And if you don't feel it, that's okay. It doesn't come from you anyway. If you are in a dry place spiritually, just begin to ask the Lord, God, put in my heart a yearning and a desire, a hunger and a thirst for you. And if you are in, if you are in a wilderness like David was, have no fear. Worship. Cry out to your God who knows you, who knows your circumstances. He's intimately acquainted with your thoughts, with your feelings, with all that is going on in your life. That kind of God. Cry out to your God. And he will encounter you in that place. Just begin to ask the Lord for more of him, no matter what season you are in.